Good morning, City Light. Man, I feel like it's only been a couple weeks since I was up here. You got Dougie twice in a row, but it feels like a long time to me. So I'm excited to be back, and uh, I just want to dive right in, if that's all right with all of you. Uh, Like Doug said, we're going to pick up our study in the book of John. And John, uh, as he wrote this account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John, um, the, the entire second half of his book is devoted to Jesus' final hours on this earth. He kind of zooms in on Jesus and what he said, what he did as he made his way to the cross. And so we see the lead character in the Gospel of John is clearly Jesus Christ. He's the main guy, and the central focus of the whole story is Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross. The story is very clearly Jesus' story. And yet here, at the end of Jesus' life, near the end of uh, the Gospel of John, we see him do something kind of interesting. He sprinkles into the story of Jesus, the story of Peter. Now, Peter uh, is an interesting guy. He is Jesus' friend. He's kind of a loud talker, risk taker, shoot then aim kind of guy. All right, so I like Peter. Um, And today we're going to look at how Peter's story kind of intermingles with the role Peter plays in Jesus' final hours on this earth. And so as we do that, I want you to know from the outset my big idea, the main point, what I want you to get today. Your failure is not final, all right? Your failure is not final. As we look at Peter, what you just heard Doug read, he messes up big time. He blows it. He denies Jesus. He fails his friend and his savior, yet there's more to the story. It does not end there, which means with Jesus, your failure is not final. I don't know about you, that's good news for me, okay? Because I've experienced my fair share of failures. Anybody in that boat with me? Well, I remember one of them as I was preparing this morning, uh, preparing for this morning, uh, my calculus class, the first semester of my freshman year in college. Anybody take calculus? Everybody with your hands down, that was a good decision, okay? There's wisdom there. Well, I was a freshman in college. I took calculus. I'd done okay in math in high school, and so I thought I'd just continue that trajectory. And I remember walking into class the first day, the professor tried to tell us why calculus was a valuable class to take and how it might benefit us in life down the road. And so he drew the axis and this wavy line on the board and marked a point. And after that, he said something like this. If a function is discontinuous at a point, you can find the equation of the tangent line at the point the function is discontinuous. Right? I knew then I would never use calculus. Right? It was just done. That was a waste of a class. I would never use it again, but now I'm stuck because I signed up. So I am in it, and I got to go. And so I come to class for the next two weeks, and all of a sudden it's time for the first test. And as I sat down and looked at the test, I realized a few things. I had not studied enough. I was not prepared enough. And I only had a very loose grip on what was on that paper. And so I struggled through it. And long story short, I failed that test. All right? It was my first college exam, and I failed it badly. Like, bombed it. 
And some of you out there are looking at me right now like, Pastor, I am so disappointed in you. <laughs> Listen, I was 18 years old, okay? Don't tell me you had life all figured out at 18. It was my first test. I was sorting it out. I need your grace because the story only gets worse, right? After I failed that test, I talked to my buddy Paul, who was in the class with me, and we decided, hey, um, we're going to be good students, and we're going to study together and make up some ground, that was a good plan, but there was a challenge. As class went on, the equations or functions, they just got more and more complex. And my professor had this unique way of teaching. He would write stuff on the board, and then instead of reading it all, he would cup his hands around what he was talking about and say, blah, blah, right? And so my buddy Paul, we're in class one day, and he falls asleep. And he woke up, and the professor said something like, the derivative of blah is blah. And my friend Paul, he said, I thought it was a dream. You don't go to college to hear that. And then I realized, no, I am awake. And in that moment, he thought, that's what calculus is. It's just blah, 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 right? And after that, we both dropped the class, okay? I failed the test, and that was the end of calculus for me. My failure was final. I don't know if you've ever experienced failure that way, but I think for many of us, oftentimes, failure feels like it is final. And I think today we're going to see Peter felt that way. All right, here's how the story unfolded for him. Let me take you back a little bit. Peter, the disciples, and Jesus were having dinner. It turned out to be Jesus' last supper with his disciples. And while they were sitting there, Jesus just let them know, things are about to get really bad. I'm going to leave where I'm going. You cannot come. I'm going to die. Things are going to get bad. And Peter heard all that, and he decides to jump in and declare his allegiance to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but no matter what happens, I'm your man. I'll be by your side no matter what, even if it costs me my life. And Jesus knew Peter, and he knew Peter's love, and he knew Peter's zeal, but he also knew Peter's reality. And he looked at Peter, and he said, Actually, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And so Peter was left to reckon with uh, that news. And after dinner, the disciples and Jesus get up and they take a walk to their favorite garden hangout. And when they get there, they started praying, or at least Jesus was praying, trying to get the other guys to pray. And as they're doing that, an angry mob shows up, pitchforks, swords, torches, the whole thing. And they're ready to arrest Jesus. And Peter sees an opportunity. I'm going to keep my promises here. I'm going to defend my allegiance to my friend Jesus. And so Peter drew his sword ready to fight. All right, now let me let you in on some news about Peter. He had game in a lot of areas, all right? He knew what he was doing in a lot of ways. There was one time Peter stepped out of a boat and had the faith to walk on water and meet Jesus in the middle of the sea. There was one time everybody was wondering, who is this Jesus? They're trying to sort it out. And Peter had the insight to call it right. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's the only one that got it right. Peter had game in a lot of areas, but when it came to sword fighting, Peter was not number one. All right? 
Peter drew his sword, did his best parry-parry thrust, and he just caught a guy's ear. All right, he just, just the earlobe, and it just chopped off. And if you're in battle, if somebody's coming against your best friend, catching the ear is more than a flesh wound, but it's not what you're going for, right? You want to take a guy out, and Peter just did his best Mike Tyson, caught the guy's ear, right? <laughs> See, if you're over like 25, you got that reference, okay? <laughs> Jesus was unimpressed. Peter put the sword away picks up the ear, heals the guy. The mob bound Jesus and led him to the courts of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Now, it's about this time we pick up where Doug read earlier. And things are starting to get real. All that conversation, all the talk at the dinner table, when Jesus was saying, my hour has come, I am going to lay down my life, I will die, all that that was just talk moments before is now reality. Everything is changing. Just minutes before, Jesus was a free man on his home turf in the garden. But now, Jesus is a bound man deep in the territory of his captors, the courts of the high priest. Moments before, Jesus was questioning the mob. Whom do you seek? But now, the mob boss, the high priest, is questioning Jesus. It was just moments before, Peter had the courage to draw his sword and take on a mob, maybe hundreds strong, and now Peter is losing his confidence. Everything is changing. Things are getting real. And so as they approach the gates of the high priest, Jesus is led in. John knows some guys there, and so he gets led in too, but Peter stopped at the gate, not you. And John sees what's happened, and he finds this young servant girl whose job it is to stand at the gate and let people in or keep people out. And John finds her and says to her, hey, that guy's my friend. Would you let him in? And so this young servant girl puts two and two together, Hey, that man Jesus who's bound and brought in, uh, John is friends with him. And now John's telling me to let this guy in. He must be friends with Jesus too. And so as she puts two and two together and, and approaches the gate to talk to Peter, she asks him this question. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Shockingly, the same Peter who moments before drew his sword to take on an angry mob, cannot muster the courage to honestly answer an unnamed, unarmed young servant girl at the gate. And so he lies and he denies and he answers her saying, I am not. She lets him through the gates. And as he walks through the gates, he sees a charcoal fire. John makes note of the kind of fire, so I will too. It was a charcoal fire. Remember that? 
He sees a charcoal fire and there are servants and officials of the high priest standing around the fire because it's early in the morning, which means it's still dark and it's cold and they're warming themselves around the fire and just across the way in the same courtyard stands the high priest and his officials and the mob questioning Jesus. And so Peter can see it all. And he hears the way that Jesus is being questioned. They're saying to him, tell us about your disciples and your teachings. And Jesus answers, hey, guys, I've only ever taught in the open. I'm not keeping secrets. If you want to know who my disciples are and what I have taught them, you don't need to ask me. Ask them. Now, the official standing there next to the high priest does not like that answer, and he dealt Jesus his first blow of the night, landed a punch. We don't know how Peter responded to seeing that punch. I don't know if he flinched when he saw the pain of his friend. I don't know if a tear fell or Peter started to cry. The Bible doesn't tell us how Peter responded. All we know is that the men standing around the fire with him saw his response and asked him again, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? That simple question was oozing with deeper meaning. Can you hear it? They're asking Peter, hey, Jesus said we should talk to his disciples. The guy who let you in walked in with Jesus, and then you walked in with him. You must be Jesus' disciple too. He's telling us to talk to his disciples. Will you not speak for him? Will you not represent him? Will you not stand for him? Will you not defend him? Are you not one of his disciples as well? Hear all the implications of that question. Peter's got a chance to redeem himself, to turn things around, but he doesn't take it. And for a second time, Peter says again, I am not. Now, standing around that fire with him stood a man still unconvinced because this man was related to the guy who lost his ear in the garden. And he was there to see everything go down. And so he looks at Peter and he says, I recognize you. And standing unconvinced that Peter is not with Jesus, he asks Peter again, did I not see you in the garden with him? Weren't you there? We were just there. That was my relative. I saw his ear get cut, got cut off. I watched it with my own eyes. I recognize you. Are you not that man? John doesn't tell us exactly how Peter responded, but he tells us that for a third time in a row, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Luke in his gospel, describes that moment of denial like this. And immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
the rooster crowed and Peter remembered. As Peter realized all that he had done, what he had done denying the very one who was going to the cross to save him, Jesus looked at Peter. Their eyes caught each other's eyes and Peter saw, I don't know if it was a black eye or a bloody lip, but he saw the results of the punch that Jesus took because Jesus said, you don't have to ask me what I've said. You can ask one of my disciples and not a single disciple stood up for him. Nobody would answer that call. Peter wouldn't do it. And after he denied him a third time, Peter looked Jesus in the eye as he was led to the next stage of his trial. See, like, Peter failed Jesus. This was not a simple mistake. This was not failing a calculus test. Peter failed. Peter failed to keep his promises. He failed to tell the truth. He failed to seek justice. He failed to stand in the face of fear. He failed to remain faithful when things got hard. Peter's love for Jesus failed. His friendship with Jesus failed. His allegiance to Jesus failed. Do you sense the weight of Peter failing Jesus? I want you to notice this morning, the Bible does not gloss over or make light of failure. If you've ever read your Bible, you will know Peter's not the first one to fail his God and King. Stands in a long line of people who looked one day like they are killing it, like they're just dominating the faith, and then the next day they fall hard. Let me give you some examples. Noah, one day is floating in the huge boat that he made in the middle of the desert that God used to save him and all creation. And the next day, Noah is passed out naked and drunk. Samson, one day, has nothing but the jawbone of a dead donkey, and he is killing the enemies of God. The next day, His favorite prostitute turns on him, betrays him, and those same enemies gouge out his eyes. One day, King David is dancing in celebration that the ark of God has returned to the city of God. And the next day, he stands humiliated and humbled, a convicted, adulterous murderer. The Bible does not gloss over failure. The Bible never makes people out to be better than they really are. The Bible never for a moment lets us think that humanity is made up of men and women who are mighty and capable of making things right on their own. No, the Bible gives an honest assessment. The reality that humanity is made up of men and women who are weak and in need of a Savior who can make things right for them. Amen? You stand there, Have you, are, are you seeing your place in the story yet, right? Noah, Samson, David, Peter, me, and you. My guess is most of us have felt the, the, the sting of failure. 
My guess is most of us are familiar with the place Peter stood when he heard the rooster crow and he locked eyes with Jesus. Have you ever felt failure? I think failure feels like you've been left so dirty that you do anything just to be made clean. I think failure lays the weight of guilt and shame in such a crushing fashion that you do anything to have it lifted. I think failure leaves in life a wake of chaos that's so overwhelming and disorienting that you do anything to find peace. Failure makes us ask questions like, how did I get here, Jesus, and how do I get out? Have you ever been there? You know what that's like. Peter failed. And so I want to ask the question today, how does Peter's failure then speak to us now? What does it have to say? What can we learn? Um, Oddly enough, I think Peter's failure can comfort some of us. Track with me for a minute. Um, Peter's greatest failure in life didn't happen before he started following Jesus. It happened after. Right? Uh, Peter knew and loved Jesus. He'd eaten with Jesus, prayed with Jesus, learned from Jesus, walked with Jesus, spent time with Jesus. It was only after that that Peter denied Jesus. And this wasn't his last failure either. If you keep reading in the Bible, we're going to see him blow it all over again. And so that means that uh, Peter's life wasn't perfect after he started following Jesus. The Christian life, I don't know if you've already trusted in Jesus what you thought you'd get after you trusted in him. If you've never trusted in Jesus and you're here wondering what what is it like to be saved, if your picture was a perfect life that's tied up in ribbons and rainbows, that's just not it. We don't see that in Peter's life. That means if you're struggling with the same arguments and fights in your marriage day in and day out. If you have compromised your integrity in the same way all over again. If, if you have done the very thing that you promised Jesus, I would never do that. I would never go there. Isn't that what Peter did? I'm your man no matter what. I don't know you, Jesus. If you're in that place, if you feel the weight of that failure, let me encourage you, we never get past needing God's grace. You just never graduate from that. You can't level up beyond that. The Christian life is a life of daily dependence on God's grace. It's repentance and faith, repentance and faith over and over. And the good news of the gospel is that God's grace can never be uh, extinguished by our need. It can, our needs can never exceed the grace that God can give. And so if you're If you're feeling the weight of failure today, know that God has grace even for you. Some of us need encouraged and comforted by the story of Peter's failure. But I think others of us sit here needing a challenge today. And so I want to look at that too. Um, Here's the challenge. Peter failed Jesus. This was not an insignificant mistake where he says, oh man, I'll do better next time. I'll try harder tomorrow. Peter failed him. 
He sinned against, he looking at the one who was going to the cross to die, paying the penalty for his sin, Peter sinned against him in that moment. Peter denied the very one who would never deny him, even when it cost him his life. The same promise Peter couldn't keep, he denied the one who was keeping it for him. You see that? When Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come, he didn't mean that Peter wasn't invited to walk with him. He meant Peter wasn't able to follow him. Peter was unable to bear the punishment, the weight of his own sin. And not only was he unable to do that himself, he was unable to follow the one who could bear the punishment for his own sin. Peter failed. And when he failed, he wept because he knew what life would be like without the one who could save him. He knew after he denied Jesus that he was destined to bear the dirtiness of sin, the weight of shame, and the chaos of of sin in his life. He couldn't get out of it without Jesus. And when he denied the only one who could get him out, he felt the weight of that and it brought him to tears. City Light, the Bible says that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. It says that we have all failed Jesus. We stand in Peter's shoes. And so I'd ask you this morning, does that matter to you? Do you feel the weight of what your denial and sin and failure has done in your life? I think for some of us, we need challenged today by Peter's tears. I think for some of us, we've allowed sin to become so normal, such a consistent part of our lives that the the sting of sin no longer has an impact. We just ignore it. We just bear it. We think that's the way it's always going to be. And can can I just say today, Peter's tears were meaningful. It it meant something when Peter was broken over his sin. See, God said things like, be holy for I am holy. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for what one sows, that he will also reap. And what the Bible means by those things is that you cannot make a habit of denying Jesus and then expect a flourishing relationship with him. You cannot hide and harbor sin in the dark that will not one day be brought to the light. It means there is a weightiness and a reality to your sin. It separates you from your Savior. And when that reality landed on Peter and he locked eyes with the Savior who was going to the cross for him, he wept because he knew what he had done. And so... Moments ago, I said the Christian life is repentance and faith, repentance and faith. I think some of us need challenged this morning that if that is the Christian life, we cannot assume or ignore the repentance part. That's what Peter's tears were. It was brokenness over his sin. And so can we be challenged by those tears today? Can you let them challenge you to confess your sin? Can we be challenged to turn from sin and fight for holiness so that there might be nothing that stands in the way of knowing and loving and following our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross so that we might be forgiven 
and made free. The story of Peter is he failed, Jesus saw it, and Peter wept. Now, some of you are like, man, he's back on the stage. He got real, real, real quick, and he said this was a good news sermon, and I haven't heard that yet, and so when's it coming? I could use it right about now. If that's you, there is good news in the story of Peter, and it is this. With Jesus, your failure is not final. Okay, With Jesus, your failure is not final. Doug read from chapter 18. That's not where Peter's story ends. So I want you to see the end of the story. Um, After Peter denied Jesus, Jesus was tried, tortured, crucified, buried, and resurrected. Okay, I never want to gloss over that. That's the heart of the gospel for us. We're going to cover that in the next two weeks. Um, So it's true. It's beautiful. Uh, We should celebrate that. But I want to look at the rest of Peter's life this morning. And so in John chapter 21, we pick up the end of the story. And we find Peter in a fishing boat. Uh, Peter was a fisherman before Jesus called him to fish for men. Right? And so what I want you to see is that Peter being in the boat... Uh, means he stepped out of the game. He's no longer in it with Jesus. He thinks, my failure has disqualified me. I'm out. I'm not good enough. Um, I messed this up. There's no place for me left in the ministry of Jesus. And so he's fishing. He's out on the boat at sea. Oh, it's nighttime. All night long, Peter's been fishing, and he's caught nothing. That's a grand total of zero fish for a professional fisherman. That is not a good night, okay? And so he's out on the boat. He's been there all night. The morning is about ready to break, and they hear somebody call out from the shore, Hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And so they think, well, why not? We haven't had any luck on this side. Let's do it. And so they take the nets, throw it to the other side. The net is so filled with fish that they cannot lift it back into the boat. And immediately, memories start flooding in about something similar happening a few years back. And they recognize, hey, that guy on the shore is Jesus. And Peter is so filled with excitement that he just leaps out of the boat and swims to the shore. I got to see him. I can't drag this net back in. It's going to take too long. I just jump out. I'm going to swim to him. And when he gets to the shore, he finds Jesus there who'd prepared for him a charcoal fire. Remember that? He'd prepared for Peter a charcoal fire. And it was about the time of day that the sun was rising. And so if a rooster had been nearby, it may have crowed about that time. You see what what Jesus is doing for Peter? He's recreating the scene. He's given him another opportunity. Peter, I know your heart. I know your love. I know you failed, but I'm going to give you another chance. As Peter stood there and smelled the charcoal, felt the warmth of the fire on his cold, wet skin, and his eyes adjusted to the growing light of daylight, Jesus spoke to him, and these are the words that he said. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Peter said to Jesus a second time, sorry, Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to Peter, 
tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus had said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. As Peter stood by the charcoal fire and the sun rose in the courts of the high priest, they asked him, do you follow Jesus? And three times Peter said no. As Peter stood around the charcoal fire, as the sun rose on the beach, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. You see, Peter's failure was extensive. His sin was heinous. His abandonment was far-reaching. But Jesus' forgiveness was complete. Do you see everything that changes? Jesus forgave Peter. Three denials became three I love yous. As the charcoal fire burned, the stench of denial became the fragrance of redemption. As the sun rose on that beach, the darkness of a black night became the dawning light of a new day. Jesus forgave Peter and Peter was restored. The good news of the gospel is your failure is not final with Jesus. That's it. I want, you to sh- I want to show you, Jesus pursued the one who failed him. It gets even better. Peter didn't have to walk back to Jesus. Jesus pursued the one who failed him. Jesus showed up on the beach. Jesus shouted at the boat. Jesus lit the fire. Jesus started the conversation. Not only did Jesus forgive Peter, Jesus didn't punish Peter for his failure. Jesus took on the punishment for Jesus' failure so that he might pardon the one who failed him. The good news of the gospel is that the one who never failed was tried, tortured, crucified, buried, and resurrected so that he might forgive the failure of people like you and me and pardon us so that we can share in his eternal life now and always. That's the gospel, City Light. It's the good news of the gospel. The Bible says the same forgiveness that Jesus offered Peter on that beach, he offers to you and I. It sounds like this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Complete forgiveness in the name of Jesus. So I'll just, I got one last observation. Uh, If you're sitting there wondering, what do I do with my failure? If you've felt the weight of your failure here this morning, you're wondering, what do I do now? The answer isn't try harder, do better next time. It can't be the answer. Peter, Jesus told Peter, where I'm going, you cannot come. You're not able to do it. We, like Peter, are unable to do better, try harder next time. We need a better answer. We need to turn to Jesus, the one who can forgive. And so what do we do with our failure? Well, Jesus not only forgave Peter, he recommissioned him. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You may not be a shepherd, but Jesus' last words to Peter were, follow me. And so I'd end with this thought. Forgiven failures follow. Listen, you are not out of the game because you failed. Your sin does not make you so dirty that Jesus cannot make you clean. The weight of your guilt and shame is not so heavy that Jesus cannot lift it off. 
He went to the cross to bear the guilt and punishment and weight for all of our sin now and always. And so the answer to what do I do with my failure is give it to Jesus. He already paid for it. Turn to him and find forgiveness. If your answer to Jesus, who is pursuing you the same way he pursued Peter on the beach, if your answer to him has been no, just no, Jesus, I can't do that. I'm going to try it my own way. Not this time, maybe next time. If your answer has been no. If your answer has always been no, and you're here today wondering, why should I say yes to Jesus? Should I say yes to Jesus? Is this even a thing? Can I encourage you today? There is nowhere else to find forgiveness and freedom and life than in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give it to you. It's the good news of the gospel. It's why we sing. It's why we celebrate here every week, every day. Jesus is our Savior. If your answer has been no, it does not have to be your final answer. Would you say yes to him today? Will you pray with me? Oh, King Jesus, uh, I just feel like this week, um, preparing for this message, you had to work it in my heart. I had to hear this myself. So I just feel like I can look back on my life and I see all the ways that I've denied you and all the ways that I've failed you and all the ways that I've let you down and all the ways that I've picked my own path instead of yours. And honestly, it, it sometimes just feels disqualifying. It feels like I should be left out on the bench. Yet we see Peter and you called him back in. And so... Jesus, this morning, as I've been praying for these people in these chairs who would show up, my prayer is that you would work that same truth deep into their hearts. God, we are a people who are weak and in need of a Savior who can make things right for us. And so I don't know what kind of failures people are feeling the weight of today. I don't know if it's young men who've looked at a screen, things on a screen that they've committed, I'm not going to do that again, and they feel guilty and dirty because of it. I don't know if it's husbands who just uh, faked it at work and got through the day and feel the guilt of not working hard as unto the Lord. I don't know if it's a wife who, or a mom who's lost her temper with her kids, an employer who, who changed the numbers uh, and, and cheated on taxes this year. God, I don't know what's going on. What I do know is we're all failures in need of your grace. And so this morning, God, for those who need comforted, that there is a way out, that you went to the cross so we don't have to sit in these failures now and always, but we can turn to you and find forgiveness and freedom. God, would you comfort the people who need comforted, who feel like there's no way out? God, would you prove to them you are the way out, you are freedom, you are forgiveness, you are love. God, for those who need challenged by Peter's tears, would you challenge us today? I just feel like there are people here today, I'm, I'm maybe in these shoes, who need to deal with their failure and sin with tears. So God, would you make our hearts of stone hearts of flesh? Do you help us to see our sin for what it really is and repent and turn? Oh God, you are good. You're so much better than anything else we could chase or live for. Would you give us the grace to repent and turn to you? Oh God, we need you, and we want you, and we love you. Be with us today. I pray this in your name.